I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. Now, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlett. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supper with us tonight, what do you say? Welcome to another episode of the Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov, and Danny's gone away, Mrs. Torrance. <laughs> and my name is Colin Drucker, and I'm not going to hurt you, Wendy. I'm just going to bash your fucking brains in. <laughs> Ooh, a great line. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which I guess is sort of appropriate because that's essentially, in some ways, what happened to Shelley Duvall in this movie. I uh, know. Stan Lee just kind of bashed her brains in. Uh, and that's what we're here to talk about today, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is Shelley Duvall as Wendy in The Shining. The uh, Shining. Which I guess you, you, could, you could call it a lead actress performance, but I yeah. think... We make our own rules here, and uh, and I think for the sake of being able to talk about this performance, I'm gonna I'm gonna make an exception this week. Yeah, it's like a lead actress with uh, a lead role with best supporting vibes. We'll yes. Say, you know? Oh, I think yeah. that's a that's a good framework because I think yeah. even like the casting and the performance, all of this is kind of the type of performance you'd expect from somebody who's in a supporting per- role. Like I think of. You know, it's as if Sandy Dennis was a lead in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yes, 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 yes. I love that comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so uh, I I am so curious to hear your thoughts uh, because, of course, you had never, if I remember correctly, you had you didn't know anything about The Shining going into this. Yeah, here I I made a short list of things that I knew about The Shining. I, of course, know the quote, here's Johnny, of course. Mm -hmm. Um... I knew about Red Rum. Um, Uh I forgot about the voice, though. I was like, oh, yeah, this is like that kid doing that weird voice. Mm. I knew about the twins. I knew about like the the bike, you know, riding down the hall, that like great shot. Um, I knew about the axe. I mean, that kind of ties into Here's Johnny. And then um, I knew about the blood coming out of the elevators because that's like a very popular gif. Like when my, my friends who are women or on their period they'll send me that right right yeah 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 Yeah, there's like i think that's interesting that there's there's elements of this movie that exist in pop culture i i I remember for the longest time like being a kid and seeing the shining in the video store and the and the vhs box was just jack nicholson's face framed in the doorway and and the movie was not in the horror movie section i remember it was in the like dramas or like maybe thriller but it wasn't the horror movie section and so i remember thinking well then what is this movie about with this really scary cover that isn't a horror movie uh and like just not and and knowing that there was a line of here's johnny and thinking well that's not like a thing a villain would say in a horror movie uh and um just yeah like just knowing those iconic images but not knowing what any of them actually meant 
Yeah, it was kind of fun to put the pieces together and really just uh, let the movie wash over me. I was really uh, excited and surprised, surprised, but like in a really good way, because I didn't really feel like the movie was two hours and 23 minutes, but it definitely is. Yeah. Um, There is maybe one, I can't really even remember at this point what part I was like, okay, we need to like speed it up a bit. But for the most part, you just kind of sat back and enjoyed, um, I was going to like, I don't know too much about Stanley Kubrick. I know that in this uh, like specific project, he's kind of a dick, especially to Shelley Duvall. And like, he's kind of like this relentless director that kept like doing take after take after take and was never satisfied. I don't, I looked through his IMDb yesterday. I don't think I've seen any other of his movies. Have you also seen it or have you any, oh, have you seen any of his movies, Colin? Um, I have, I have seen, let's see. I of course have IMDb open because, you know, I have to look at people's IMDb pictures. So let's look at Stanley Kubrick's IMDb <laughs> yeah. photo. Uh, he looks like a professor in college I'd never want to have. Um, yes, yes. Who would have like an old office in the basement of an admin building that has that looks like you're stepping into like 1977, um, even yes, in the 2000s. Uh, and you go to him like, you know, is there any chance that I could do extra credit or do this pass fail? And he just looks at you the way he looks at you in his IMDb <laughs> photo. Yes. And th- and just like pauses, doesn't even respond, just looks at you and then, and then just, you just says, turn the stone yeah. and leave. Yeah. And you leave. I'm like, well, I guess I'm failing this class. Um, <laughs> so I have seen all that being said, I think the only other Stanley Kubrick movie that I've seen that he's directed was Full Metal Jacket. Uh, I saw that in high school. It was like part of a class, some class I took in high school where the okay. teacher took like two months just showing us Full Metal Jacket and dissecting it and tying it back to history. And it was very interesting. So, you know, you could say he was leaning on the VHS, but I found it very fascinating. But I, I mean, I'm familiar with Eyes Wide Shut, obviously, you know, just a kind of similar to The Shining. Like, I'm familiar with some of the iconography and obviously the casting. Sure. You know, 2001 A Space Odyssey is kind of like, you know, it's on the list. But I'm like, well, how many women are in it, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, A Clockwork Orange is a little too violent for me to indulge. Like, I don't need to see it, you know? Um, yeah, I don't think I do either, but... Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is really, I think, other than Full Metal Jacket, which I haven't seen in a while, this is the Stanley Kubrick movie I'm most familiar with. I... I, I just putting all that aside, too, because really I just don't know too much about the man in general, too. If I was just looking at this as if someone... Is he a problematic director? Question mark. Like it sounds like he is because I mean of all the stuff we know about Shelley, 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 um, yeah, (laughs) Shelley. Um, But that's that was kind of like a rhetorical question. But I don't Mm. I don't know if you have anything to jump in with about that, or is it just like I know as much as you know, Nick? You know, I mean, I I don't know, but I think about him the way I think about, like, Alfred Hitchcock. And, sure. you know, people say, like, Alfred Hitchcock has a terrible relationship with women. He treats women terribly on set, in the movies, you know, on screen and off screen. Like, you know, everything he did to Tippi Hedren in The Birds. And I think, you know, we all kind of uh, regard Hitchcock as a genius with a vision and, and you know, with very specific signature details. And there is even something about like the, the Hitchcock blonde and the women of Hitchcock movies. Like there is something yeah. sort of uh, iconic about that as well. And so I feel like, and I think actually The Shining and Shelley Duvall and her performance, all of that is a great, you know, example of uh, like, this is sort of a good header for the conversation about her in this movie is he 
clearly is very meticulous and is a perfectionist and has a very specific idea of what he wants and goes to great extremes to get there. And the question I think is like, well, is, is it, is the result worth the the anguish? You know what I mean? Like, is this, uh, does it justify the means? You know, for example, is Shelley Duvall's performance worth what Shelley Duvall went through to give us that performance, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like, but at what cost? Right, right. And so, I mean, I, I I tend to be more of a fan of, you know, and not that I have, like, particular ideas in mind, but I like when actors talk about working more collaborative, collaboratively with directors. Like, I like when actors are, con- or directors are considered, like, an actor's director because it just makes me think of, like, ooh, acting choices and, yeah. you know, you know things like, like that. Like Nichols type. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I... It also be a little bit, you know... I feel like he yelled at a couple of women in his life, but we also love him a lot. <laughs> right, right. But I feel like, you know, I, I like the idea of a director who sees what the actors are bringing to the table. I think yes. every time yeah. we see in a performance a moment where, you know, we say, oh, nobody told her to do that. It's like, well, there yeah. you go. Like, that's the benefit of working collaboratively with your actors is there stuff they're going to do that, like, you never would have thought of. So yeah. I don't know if he's necessarily that kind of director, but... Um, I would never want to work with him. So yeah, it seems you know. like I trust Shelley on this one. I'm I'm, I'm with Shelley. I'm with her. Uh, I'm with Shelley. Yeah, but I will say it's like I I was into it. Like all these incredible shots and like incredible choices. Like one off the top of my head that just sticks out with me is sticks out with me sticks out to me. Um, is Jack Nicholson when Shelley? I keep calling her Shelley when Wendy. Uh, mm. Locks him in the, the, that food thing, and he chooses to like have that like upshot of Jack. Yeah, uh huh. Great, like simple like idea. Honestly, it's just like because it makes it ten times more terrifying mm-hmm. as opposed to just like filming him from the back. I don't know what it, and Jack Nicholson is terrifying in this movie too. I mean, well, we will talk about him because I have some thoughts. But have you? I just wanted to ask real quick before I forget. Have you read the book at all? No, I feel. I think I bought like the the ebook and i think i have okay. it in my kindle library and it's been on another list uh i yeah, know that the the book, the, list. Yeah. the book list and i know the book is quite different or you know in in some ways uh and that state like stephen king does not like this version of the shining because it diverts so far from the book yeah but uh and i kind of know like in like researching this, I sort of know where the differences are and like what happens and all of that. But the short answer is no, I have never read the book. Um, one of these days. Yeah. It's on my list too now. Cause I, I have not read much Stephen King at all. I've only read Carrie. That's like my only Stephen King book I've ever read. And mm. I am interested because, because of all the stuff and just doing, you know, some light ID IMDB uh, research on this and stuff too, that he wasn't a fan, especially of like Jack Nicholson's performance and um, just like, uh, that he kind of like dragged Stanley Kubrick through the mud for like how many years until, um, and, and not, I'm looking at the cast for the 1997 remake too, which is so interesting. Um, yeah, Steven Weber from Wings. From Wings. Jeff, I know. That's yeah. so interesting to me. You know, um, Wings, I feel like it, Wings is, you know, not that we need a Wings tangent, but Wings is one of those shows that I've never seen. But whenever I think of Wings, I just think of like reruns on USA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, exa- you know, that's, that's a vibe, as the kids say, or used to say. Yeah. I don't even know if they say it anymore. Yeah. A mood, that's like, maybe. That's a mood. That's like homesick from school, but now it's like 3.30 in the afternoon, and it's like, eh, 
you know, yeah, the benefits like Rosie of, hasn't started yet at four. Right. You know, you're with- <laughs> yeah, you're killing time with Steven Weber and Crystal before Bernard on Wings. Yeah, before Oprah. <laughs> Tony Shalhoub. Was he on Wings? Yeah, he was. He was. You know who else I think was on Wings now that we're really having a Wings uh, <laughs> what tangent? I think Tim Daly was on Wings, wasn't he? And he's Tyne he Daly's was. brother. Yes, he is. He's like yeah. um, the lead. Oh, that yeah. is Tim Daly. Oh, he is. He's very he good He has looking. aged well. He has yeah. aged well, my friend. Yeah, Tim Daly, Tim and Tyne, uh, you know, just royalty. Oh, I love that. Thomas Hayden Church was on it. Amy yeah. Yazbek, who I believe, was she the one from Robin Hood Men in Tights? Yeah, she played Maid Marian in Robin Hood. Wow. Yeah, yeah. She's Thomas great. Hayden Church is like, you know, if the epitome of an actor on a 90s sitcom that didn't go past one season. Besides yeah. Wings, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just know him for like Sideways. I feel like that was his yeah. biggest, biggest that, like thing. That's but where he, he popped like up cool again. Guy. Yeah, he's yeah. fine. No, I'd let him fly the plane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of, it's even that we got on a wings tangent, but remind me who plays Wendy in the 97 miniseries. I feel like I know, but remind yeah, me. Yeah, let me just look that up real quick. It was something De Mornay. It's Rebecca um, De Mornay. That's what I yeah, thought. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. And it's, which is obviously, I mean, I have not seen that version, but like such different casting. I think more in line with what, obviously what Stephen King was expecting with Wendy. Yes. Like, he's described Wendy as kind of the blonde, you know, cheerleader, never had a problem in her life type. And so all of this, you know, that happens in the movie or in the book is meant to be even that more terrifying because she has no arsenal of coping mechanisms for it. Um, Yeah. I I think that was kind of my... Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. No, I had another sort of uh, tangential thought, but go on. Um. I think that was one of my biggest complaints too. When I was reading about it, he one of his biggest complaints with Jack Nicholson's like character, and maybe he was directed this way too, was that Jack Nicholson seemed crazy from the get go. I think like mm. the 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 fun part of I mean fun in quotes part of watching this movie is seeing just what you said, like kind of a perfect cookie cutter family be thrown into this like crazy situation um yeah. like like poltergeist you know what i mean they're just like i feel like i mm-hmm. needed some of that energy and i'm so fascinated by the casting of shelly duvall i i saw on imdb that um they uh, jack nicholson initially wanted jessica lang that was the other thought i had is that and, whoa right i mean i love that but it's a totally different performance it's a totally different experience i also feel like jessica lang can talk through tears like the best of them. And it would have been fascinating to see her do this kind of performance. Yes. But I am glad that Shelly got ended up getting it too, because I think she also brings like these two. I just never got any chemistry between them from the get go. Like I never got any sense of love or commitment. Like I don't think like Jack Nicholson even likes her. Yeah, and that's what's interesting. I think, you know, if the idea in the in the book and the miniseries, like the if the Stephen King concept of this is that Jack and Wendy are coming into this experience, you know, kind of intact and loving each other, and then everything falls apart at the Overlook. I, th- I mean, yeah, that's really fascinating, and I agree. I love the, you know, the way that that kind of manifests in Poltergeist. I love the idea of Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams as Jack and Wendy, um, all of that. But I think, you know, there is something really interesting about the, the fact that from the beginning— 
like I think about that car ride, you know, the, the three of them in the car up to the hotel and that vibe that like, oh, he can't stand. He not only can he not stand Wendy, he can't stand Danny either. Yeah. And that there's and there's something there's an interesting tension that that builds. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate because I, I again, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, what's the point of doing it this way? And it's like there there's a tension that exists before the movie even begins in some ways. Like there is. Yeah. You know, and I think with the casting, you know, the idea like taking someone like Jack Nicholson who looks like, you know, even when he's smiling, you're like, this guy, this guy could lose his shit in a second. Like, that, oh, yes, there's a sinister quality to him. And then Wendy, you know, Shelley Duvall just like looks like someone who if we were to to understand that like Jack has had a drinking problem or has had other issues or anger problems. Like this is a woman who's already wrung out from walking on eggshells and trying to keep the peace and, and maybe a bit of a like sensitive soul anyway, that I almost kind of love the idea of taking these two flawed people and then putting them in a really awful situation and seeing what happens then, you know? Yeah. I, I, I buy that. I love that idea too. I think that, um, I like the idea of like disgruntled writer never really kind of made it and kind of is still finding his, you know, trying to like write that great American novel and just like kind of in the wrong family sort of situation mm-hmm. too. But like I could have used like even if it was like a kiss that meant nothing, I would have loved to have seen them at least embrace or touch or something like that at least once. I don't think they touch each other at all. No, I feel like the only time there's really like anything that comes across as like a connective moment is uh, after that 237 room 237 scene when he finds the woman in the bathtub. Yeah. Which I'm sure we'll talk about. And then he goes back to the room to talk to Wendy and suggests that like, I think Danny may have done, may have, you know, the marks on his neck he may have done to himself. He's being kind of tender with her in that moment. And it felt like, Oh, this I'm, I was so grateful that someone was being nice to Wendy, but at the same time, like the subtext of that is like, he's lying about what he saw. And then a second later he snaps at her and he blows up and says, you, you know, you fuck everything up in my life and I'm not going to let you do it again. So it's like, we get a moment of him at least being tender, but it's, it's rooted in lies and then followed by rage. And so, yeah, we don't Mm -hmm. really ever get a tender moment with them. Yeah. Cause even if it wasn't, I, you know what I mean? Like if someone's just annoyed, like a kiss that he kind of like pushes away or says like, get off mm-hmm. me or something. Like I just mm-hmm. wanted to some sort of thing. But that's that's just me, I guess. I'm like, where's yeah. the romance, Colin? <laughs> right? Well, so two things. One, it makes me think about that scene when she makes him breakfast in bed. And even oh, then, he almost spread. seems... Yeah, oh, what a spread. But even I then, I would love he's like, if someone brought that for me. <laughs> yeah, but he seems like, oh, I, I don't... All right, I'll eat this. Like he doesn't really swoon over it. But two, and I meant to send this to you, but I'll send it to you after. There is, you know how they do on, like on YouTube, there's recut trailers for movies. Like there's yes. one that makes Mrs. Doubtfire look like oh, a yeah, horror yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. So there's one that makes The Shining kind of look like a, a coming of age story. Like I'll send it to you. It'll give you, it will, it will be the dose of vitamin D that you need on a gloomy week. You know what I mean? Like there's no sunlight, but I'll give you this trailer and that'll give you what you need because it recuts it to make it look like, Oh, the family all goes to the hotel and then they like reconnect and Jack finds himself. Um, it's perfect. And there's like, it's scored to like that, you know, 
Paul Simon song that's used in every trailer uh, about a family that's coming of age sure. in the 80s. Um, it's like the Growing Pains theme song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Right, right, right. Um, so, yeah. So that there is certainly a, you know, a version of that out there. But, uh, but yeah, I hear you. There's really no... Um, there's no, no connection. Re- no connection. Yeah. 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 I wanted to ask you, because this is just like personally too, could you do this job, Colin? If you had like the capabilities and know how to like run the hotel, would you agree to this? I mean, it's certainly something I thought about, obviously, in the context of 2020 and lockdown life of like, yeah, okay, right. yeah. could I stay in one place for like eight months? And it's like, well, yes, I can attest to the fact that I can. Yes. Um you know, and like the, I think I would not be able to be entirely alone. Yes, uh, I, I think agree. that would freak me out. I think there is the plus side of the hotel being huge is that there's all this room to spread out. The downside of the hotel being huge is hearing a weird sound at eleven thirty at night and having oh, to go investigate. Oh yeah, you know. Yes. Um, so I think that I, I don't know if it paid really well. I don't think I could do it. I think I think I can do it. And then like three months in, I start to have like a breakdown and I got to get in the snow cat and get out of there, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. I I mean, to I agree with uh, like almost everything you said. It's just like the, the, the idea of it is really enticing. Like, especially mm-hmm. like as a writer, like all your job is to just take care of this hotel, you know, turn the heat on every once in a while, or at least that's how it seems. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's a lot more upkeep. Um and then just write your novel. That sounds great. Um, I would want like all my friends there. I'd want a group of like 15 friends. Right? Like I feel and, like I'd, yeah. I'd want some kind of sense of community there. Um, you know, and, and wouldn't want to be so disconnected from the rest of the world. I think there's that quality too of like, oh, you're also, what is it, like 20 miles from <laughs> or some ridiculous uh, stretch of, of distance away from anything uh, and the only yes. road between the hotel and like the closest, you know, bit of civilization is that winding, you know, mountain road. I mean, the reality is the drive up the mountain, I'd say, nope, nope, can't do it. Turn around. So yeah, for sure. Uh, that would probably be as far as I would I'd need. Get. I would need to know that the Wi-Fi would never be tampered with. That would that would be mm. like the only, and I think that it would be, and then I'd be out because the phone lines are down. Oh yeah, no. You'd you'd be buffering videos on YouTube all <laughs> God, night. I know. Yeah. 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 I I think I would probably like two months would be fine. I think I could do two months. Not by yeah. myself. I would need three or more people with me, I think. I can get together with two months. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> well, uh well here's hoping. I'm mean, you know, waiting by the phone, um, you know, for that call. Exactly. Uh winter's here. So <laughs> So let's let's dive in on Wendy. Let's dive in yes. on Shelley Duvall. Um, now, I, of course, we are uh, kind of like maybe the, the real inspiration of this episode was that line from, was it season six, episode one of Schitt's Creek? Yes. Uh, when uh, Moira is on the set of The Crows Have Eyes and uh, she's trying to like talk to the director and he's just like not having it. And I, I should have looked up what, I'm sure you know what the exact quote is. Yeah, so I, I feel s- like, yeah, yeah good. No, 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 good. It's something like, uh, I see what you're doing, trying to, uh, I don't remember. Break me down. Break me down like yeah. Stanley did to Shelley. <laughs> 
maybe I'll edit it in here. Just God yes, forbid. Please. That's wildly yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think we're pretty good. And I see what's happening here. Break me down just to build me up again. Like Stan Kubrick did to Shelley. I feel like there's a gesture. Like, I see what you are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Like Stanley did to Shelley. I Shelley. mean, that's S-H-E-L-L-E-H. Uh, yes, exactly. And, and I think that that is what, like, what drew me into wanting to talk about this performance, about this movie, is uh, obviously Shelley Duvall is doing so much actressing and it's just like completely wrung out and in some ways more than I've ever seen anyone wrung out in a movie at points. And I think I come to this performance, not necessarily being like, Oh, I'm obsessed with Shelley Duvall's performance in this and more of like, I'm fascinated by it. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. I want to know everything. And I, I was watching, I clicked on a couple YouTube videos and there was one video that like, and I do kind of agree with what he was saying, but I didn't agree with where he fell. He was like, there are two sides to where people fall on Shelley Duvall's like, performance. One, that it's like this masterful sort of like real lived in, you know, wrung out performance. Mm-hmm. And that uh, other people think it's totally ridiculous and she's overacting and it's like so stupid. And that's where he fell. And I was like, stop this video. Oh, because I, I watched that. Yes. And I yeah. was like, well, you're just an what angry nerd. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't know anything. Um, you don't know anything. Like, Did you see the staircase scene with the baseball bat? Like, come on. Right, right. And 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 his argument in that movie or in that in that video was, you know, just because a performance is realistic doesn't mean that it's necessarily good. And that's you an know, interesting point of like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it, what it makes me think about as kind of a almost supporting his point. And from someone who we like a lot more, but I think I told you there was that interview I saw with Emma Thompson and she was talking about, I think when she was in portrait of a lady, some movie that she was in where she worked with, uh, it was a, you know, uh, James Merchant production or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but he had told her, uh, that, no, not not James Merchant. It's like James Ivory and like something. It's a Merchant Ivory production. I always forget his first name. It doesn't okay. matter. It doesn't matter. No one cares. I was listening to you talk yourself through that. I was like, he'll get I know. there. He'll get there. I was, yeah, I was like, sorry. I was just like Merchant running down Ivory the hallway. Bre- like, who cares? Like swinging a knife around. Is it Merchant Ivory? Is it James? <laughs> who cares? Marco, look it up. Marco. Um, <laughs> Alexa, what is Merchant's first name? Yes, um, exactly. So, um, apologies to anyone who's Alexa I just set off again. Um, Anyway, someone told Emma Thompson, and I know that name is correct. Someone told her that if you're going to cry in a movie, cry once and, like, make it worth it. And, of course, I appreciate the restraint of that. And, like, she was making similar points that, you know, you – even I think the same point this guy made that if you were grieving in real life, you'd be sobbing uncontrollably and would just be a hot mess. But is that, does that make sense as a performance in a movie or is that just over the top and histrionic and melodramatic? I, I hear that. I hear all those points. Um, But I feel like then there are certain performances and certain movies where, by breaking that rule, and I think, of course, of Tony Collette in Hereditary, and I think of Shelley Duvall in The Shining, mm-hmm. where it's by breaking that rule that you actually get a more interesting performance and you actually get a different experience as a, as a viewer watching a performance. I think 
if Wendy was only given one opportunity to cry in this movie, we probably wouldn't be talking about this performance at all right now, you know? Yeah, I I agree with you too. I, I, I think there's something to that, what, what Emma said, or like what she was told at least. Um, but it just depends on the character. It depends on the situation. It depends on what their motivation is. Is this character overly sensitive or is... I'm thinking even like um, I forget the actress's name in Texas Chainsaw Massacre that you keep talking about um, oh. jumping out the window three times, and I'm sure obviously like that is a performance one I'll probably never see, maybe one day. Um, I really would desperately want to, but uh, that that would warrant some tears. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. feel like the audience, uh, you have permission. I as an audience member would certainly give permission to that. I think it's just if it's done right. I I don't think. I'm really trying to think, have you ever watched a performance, Colin, where a character cried too much and you were like, enough already? Like, I don't think I've ever had that thought. That's a good question. And some of that, I mean, I know I'm subjective because I love that level of emoting. I guess the short answer is no, I've never had that problem. But I know there's other people who don't have the same taste that we do. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. I, I guess maybe a, if you're going to cry, make sure you do it well. That's that's my thing. Like, there's nothing mm-hmm. worse than bad crying. I can't imagine what you have to do as an actor. I feel like I, I feel like if I was on a shoot and it was like a 16-hour day, I'd cry because I was tired. That would be my, that would be mm-hmm. my motivating factor. Um, yeah. But, like, I, I, yeah. It's, it's probably really hard. So, like, when people do it well and it feels natural, like, that's when I'm most inclined to be to appreciate it and sort of like say yes more of this like i i've never i've never wanted less good crying maybe is the best way to say mm. that i know that's like a simple way to say that but yeah anyway um yeah i mean i think like meryl crying against the dishwasher if i remember correctly they did a lot of takes of that and so by the version yeah. we saw she was just like completely wrung out at that point yes. and and yeah and i think there is that level of you're eventually you're not watching someone do the Joan Crawford, like, you know, when do you want me to cry? Which eye do you want me to cry out of? You're just watching, like, the human machine start to break down. Um, Sure. Which I guess is kind of uh, what happens in this movie. Yeah, kind of the case here. Yeah. Uh, I will say before we... I know that there are people who are dying to know. It's James Ivory and Ishmael Merchant. So... You're welcome, I everybody. You were say something really profound. <laughs> oh no, no, I would never do that. Um, so anyway, uh, I also want to say I'm I'm so happy that you brought up Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I had the mm-hmm. same thought watching this uh, was that yeah Marilyn Burns and Texas Chainsaw Massacre goes to similar places that Shelley Duvall does in The Shining, um, and yes, would be a a terrifying movie to watch, but. For the actressing, for the for that performance, it is almost worth it because it is just. By the end, you're like, "What did I just see?" It's yeah. it's so good. I Ugh. really want to. I just I know I, God, I don't know if I can handle it. Yeah, no, I get it. It's that's a. I mean, for someone who doesn't like horror movies, Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre is. It's not. It's not the it, tea. It's the. It's not the tea. It is not the tea. Um, I can't believe I'm. I'm gonna do a little bit of a shift here too. But I can't believe we went this long, Colin, without talking about the music. The music. The music. The oh, score. So, the score that I so 
because oh, I and I meant to look this up before we started because I knew that there was at least some of the score was done by Wendy Carlos, who'd done this sort of like yes. synth music. And what I didn't realize was how much of the score were these like classical music pieces that they had yes. pulled in. Uh, and just, I mean, like, I'll, any, okay, so anytime there's a scene of Shelley Duvall, like, running around the overlook, clutching a knife, wearing a bathrobe, like a, like a leaf blowing in the wind, and there's like the score of that, like, Clang, 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 clang. Yes. I was like, this is ever I, 90 minutes of this, two and a half hours of this. This is what I love. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, I don't recall a film that has like, or like a score that has elevated a movie so well. Mm. Ever, ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever. Like, I, it, I just like, I would love to see a version of this movie without the score. It would be, it would not even be as scary, honestly, oh, because that yeah. is like, and it's not really made because, like, uh, you you warned me before I watched it too about like a jump scare that honestly never. I don't even know when it was. I don't know what mo- like what part you were talking about because it wasn't that crazy. But like, what was crazy was just the sheer even. Oh God, I think one of the like the most scared I was. This is like such a dumb moment, but it it really freaked me out. Was when. The two, when Wendy and Danny were playing outside, maybe in the maze or something like that, and they just show this shot of Jack Nicholson. It's like the beginning of him starting to lose it. Yeah. And he's staring mm-hmm. out the window, and they hold that shot for way too long. And it's like you feel uncomfortable looking at it, and the, the music is just like, it's like nails on a chalkboard sort of sounds, and just like all of, it was perfect and terrifying, honestly. So I... I was like bowled over by this score. It was so brilliant. I agree. I I had forgotten like how effective it was and and how big it was. Um, and I feel like horror movies are like such a great like playing ground for the score to be a like a, such a big part of the movie. I mean that like because you can go so over to- over the top with the music. And it doesn't feel distracting because I feel like with horror movies, it's like horror movies kind of play some of the same notes as opera where we sort of accept a level of, of hugeness, a level of melodrama, a level of kind of like extremism because the subject matter is extreme. Um, yes. And so I feel like I've always loved horror movie scores because they they just have that drama. I think, you know, the original Halloween is a great example of a movie that, that the score elevates the entire movie it's a good movie and then with the score it's a great movie uh worth seeing uh scary but i not oh i I think after the shining you could handle halloween Um, yeah i feel like that's a good mid mid movie between that and like texas chainsaw maybe (laughs) yeah oh and texas chainsaw like the music in that is so like i it's barely music but it's another example of like oh you notice it and it like elevates and changes the scene. And I feel like there's so many movies now, so many generic horror movies, especially where the score is just like plug and play. It's just like ominous background music yeah, yeah. and, and it does nothing. Uh, yeah. I, I love this. And I, I love that it was all of these sort of reappropriated, you know, classical pieces that I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't even know what this is. There was one, I think the, I looked it up, the the clanging part, and if you'll bear with me, I just have to bring it up on yeah. Spotify, The Shining. Um, oh, well, I'll just edit this part out where I... Yeah. 
don't say anything. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know music better than I do, so I don't know if any of this... Do you, are you familiar with a composer whose last name is Penderecki? No, yeah, I should be, I, but no. I am sure there are all sorts of theories about the music being used in this movie and at certain points and what it represents and what it's harkening back to. Um, and some of that could just be people putting you know, two and two together to just you know get an answer, and some of it could be intentional because it's Stanley Kubrick. But... Uh, yeah, it's just like, oh, it was just so good. And it's he, so yeah. effective. It really so is. Because yeah. there are parts of this movie. I watched this on my laptop. I didn't want to put it on the big TV because it's <laughs> the thought of it. Yeah, too much. Me. Yeah, I needed yeah. it to be contained and just like, you know, a four inch by five inch screen, you know, on YouTube. Um, and I almost watched it with headphones, but I was like, no, I can't do that. Mm. Cause it, there are these like little bits and bobbles of just like random, not even music sounds like just pit a patter sort of like clicks and stuff like that too. That is just like, it's so layered and perfect and it, that sets, like I said, like I, I would love, <laughs> I would love to see a version of this movie without the score. And, and there were parts where I had to turn the volume down just because yeah. like, I, I started to get too scared and there were too many, it was just like zooming in on something or maybe it turned out to be nothing or maybe it was like something not as scary as I thought it would be. Because um, the one thing that I knew was like, I knew the twins existed in this hotel, but I had no idea who else was in this hotel with them. So getting to, I mean, this is this might be our, our time to talk about um, the lady in the bathroom or the bathtub. Sure, sure. The bathtub lady. Yeah. That scene, that was, because I had seen The Shining before like a long time ago and that was like, the old lady in the bathroom was one of those things that just became like seared onto my brain and the, the context of it, everything leading up to it or afterwards faded away, but just her like rotting and laughing. I was yes. like, well, that's it. Never going to forget that moment. Yeah. Uh, I was, if I saw that as a kid, I didn't ask you, when was the first time you did see this movie? Were you young or? Uh, I, yeah, uh, it just makes me want to say, you're not young. Uh, I know, I was just going to say, how can I work this in? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to like shoehorn it in. Um, yeah, just say it. <laughs> I think, I, I mean, at the very least was in high school, maybe okay. college. So uh, old enough to see it, but not to the point of like studying it or like breaking down all the nuances, you know? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, but that was a scene. I think what scared me more, actually, was Shelley Duvall coming down to tell... Um, it's funny because his name is Jack in the movie, too. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is And so Danny is also named Danny in real life. Right? I know. So that's, that's so interesting to me. Like, when she says, like, there's a crazy woman in the hotel and she choked Danny or something. Like, that mm -hmm. was terrifying to me. Like, just the thought of, like, we're not alone here is super freaky to me. You know, that kind of leads to sort of the mythology of the movie and really like, so what's this all about and what happens and, and who are these people and what's the whole narrative of, of Jack as the caretaker and why is he in a picture from 1921 at the end? Yeah. Like, there is a lot that is sort of unexplained. I, I saw one video on YouTube that explained it that uh, that picture at the end is not actually Jack Torrance, but like someone from earlier in his like lineage from the twenties and that there's some sort of like familial thing because the, uh, the last caretaker, the guy who killed his family in 1970, uh, we see 
we th- or what he thinks is him, Grady, in the bathroom, who's like dressed as the butler. Yes. And then that guy says, oh, no, I'm not him. I'm Delbert Grady. He's And he's clearly someone not from 1970s, clearly someone from like the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And so there's the idea that even this guy, Grady, that he was not the only person, like he's following in the footsteps of someone else in his life or someone else in his family who came up there and took care of the the hotel. Like there's, I think, a lot of, mythology or questioning of like how do people get drawn into this are you kind of doomed you know uh with some kind of lineage to be you know uh, caretakers of the overlook like i don't know the answer to all of that and i think that's why there is like the documentary room 237 which is probably more it's less about the mythology of the story and more about the mythology of like the making of the movie Mm -hmm. you know one of the big conceits of that documentary is that that Stanley Kubrick had actually filmed the fake moon landing and that this was yes. him like revealing that in some way and that there's some tie to like, it was studio 237 and it's rooms. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it was like 237,000 miles to the moon or something mm, like that. I, I saw that. That's on like what it a, was. Yeah. A random YouTube video. I was like, wow. All right. Yeah. And, and sure. I think that's all very it's fun fascinating. to think about that. Yeah. I'm not going to like subscribe to those ideas. Yeah. Right. That's a real deep rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, so let's, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot around Shelley Duvall's performance, but let's yes. talk a bit about it. I will say this. I, you know, watching it again, I remembered like, you know, act three, Wendy and like freaked out Wendy and, and, it is a very singular performance. And then it was like watching some of like the act one, act two, Wendy, there were definitely moments where I was like, is this a good performance? Like, is she kind of wooden? Is that a weird line delivery? Like I think about that scene when she's on the radio talking to the the mountain ranger and there's something yes, so wooden about her delivery. And so like, oh yeah, I guess... I guess we're going to be up here a while or something like that, where it just comes across like that. And what I, I like that I don't really know if this is Shelley Duvall. Like I can't imagine Shelley Duvall or Stanley Kubrick settling for a wooden take. Or if, if this is Wendy and Wendy's kind of a weirdo, you know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe it's quite the opposite actually, that she was giving some nuance and like giving us what we as in you and I would want, but Mm -hmm. he directed her a different way too. I'm always, you know, being a former actor myself too, I'm Mm. always sort of skeptical about like, if I see a performance that's technically like weird or some weird choices are going on, I'd say sometimes most of the time it might be the actor just making a choice, you know, and that's what mm-hmm. they went to because it's live theater and they can do whatever they want. But sometimes I'm like, maybe they were directed that way because I've been in that situation where I'm like, I don't like the way that I've been told to do this. And you have a conversation with your director and depending on like if the director is like collaborative or not, sometimes they don't budge. Sometimes you could come to like a happy medium and sometimes they're just like, no, I, I, I really think this is the way you should say this line or which is not great. Like that's not really the best director giving you line readings or anything, but I'm, I'm interested in that. I wonder if that was the case. Yeah. Cause there's other scenes. Like I, I rewatched this morning, the scene when Wendy is talking to the doctor and she's talking about, you know, when Danny started, you know, talking to Tony and, and what happened when Jack came home drunk and heard him. And that whole monologue, it's, so nuanced like there's so many it's so restrained and there's so many small choices that she's making 
and like there's so much that she's just very she's choosing her words carefully and like it's just it is a very intricate delivery that is like so like if if that's completely restrained it it's just the polar opposite of what we eventually see at the end and i love that i love that that wendy is not an hysterical woman from the beginning you know she's mm-hmm. clearly like she looks tired and seems a little strung out and is and is seems very sensitive and a little mousy and whatnot but she doesn't seem like someone who's like, she's not just like crying and sobbing and having like breakdowns about things. Um, and so I, I, I liked that parallel of like, Wendy is just kind of this soft spoken, kooky, quirky little woman, uh, who then is just like pushed to such extremes, both in her reactions and her actions, you know, both in how she deals with the situation like in terms of hitting Jack with the bat or dragging him into the into the you know pantry, yeah. but also just the emotional response. I feel like that's what I kind of love about what happens to Wendy in this movie is like in some ways it's like she's more emotional than she can even handle. Like she's never like lost her shit like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I think if we're going with this whole idea that obviously Jack is or was an abusive alcoholic sort of, you know, both verbally and maybe obviously physically, at least with Danny, like who knows what else happened prior to like when we entered their lives, I guess. Mm -hmm. So like I don't doubt that she has seen some shit or had to clean up some shit. Like the fact that she chose to take him off the stairwell and drag him into that like I, w- I wanted to say the freezer but it's not the freezer it's that food pantry or whatever mm-hmm. um it's it's like it's showing a little bit of like survival tactics it's like okay i it's like how many times has she picked jack up off the floor and like put him in like the shower to hose him down you mm. know what i mean like i feel that there's <clears throat> but she like you like going off of what you said like this is taking that to like a 27 quite literally like as far as just the stakes are so high that she never quite she doesn't know how to deal with it i mean i think i think that she's dealt with him before like even like him just saying like get the fuck out of here while i'm writing you know mm-hmm. all that stuff that scene i was like she just wanted to make you some sandwiches i was like that sounds yeah. lovely right uh, and, and like look yeah oh, sorry, go go ahead. Ahead. no no no, 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 no. Saying, but but like looking at how she reacts in that moment when he's like if i'm in here don't come in here like if you hear me typing and he gets like so pissed with her and she you just see her just kind of like sh- like not shut down but like they're processing it, it i guess yeah, yeah yeah like she doesn't snap back you know and yeah and you know the idea of her hitting him with that bat is so what i love about that is this is clearly like, this is the most I mean, we see her yelling at him earlier when she sees the marks on Danny and she says, you did this to him, you son of a bitch. But yeah. she's on the other side of the room, yes, you know, yeah. and and so how much she's ever felt safe or capable of confronting Jack, you know, it, it's it's never been to the extent of of the scene with the baseball bat. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it's like even watching her with that bat, obviously, she's just very hysterical, but it's as if she's never swung a baseball bat before, oh, you know, yeah. The way she's holding it, it's like she's like, I, I'm doing this and I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Uh, and and that when she does finally hit him, I'll tell you, I watched that a couple of times. It's so good. Yeah. It's because she like he's like, give me the bat, give me the bat. And he reaches out and she hits his hand and then she brings it up and just swings it and whacks him in the neck. And yes. it's 
It's so, like, it is the most Wendy has ever fought back. It's so gratifying. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's super, like, cathartic in a way. It's like, yes, Mm -hmm. get Mm him. Get him, Kate. Yeah, Um, get her, Shelly. Yeah. (laughs) And and, and she surprises herself, too. It's like, oh, my God, I actually did that. Um, Yeah. And then there's this immediate sort of, like, I just realizing what she did too. But like, yeah, I think kind of just backtracking a smidge too is like, I feel that like she's seen Jack be mean before Mm -hmm. and she's dealt with like the venom that he spewed, but he's only, she's only really seen him do that while he was like under the influence. So the fact that he doesn't have alcohol in his system, you know, and that he's just kind of turning into this like, I don't know, a little bitch, really. It's just yeah. it's so mean to her. It's like, I think she's trying to figure it out in a way, too, when she stares back at him. But his whole speech is great, too. Like, it's... Oh, yeah. He's great in that scene. I, he really is great in the movie, too. Like, I, I think the highlights for me is that scene, um, the baseball scene, for both of them, really, the baseball bat, and, like, mm-hmm. uh, his monologue to Lloyd at the bar... Yep. Mm-hmm. It's probably the two best moments for him, for me, or that I can really kind of remember. Um, I also really liked, and this is also like, I also, the, I was scared at like the weirdest things in this movie, but when he's walking down the hallway, I think it's before the first Lloyd monologue, and he's just kind of like punching the air, and he's just kind of like revved up over something. It really freaked me out. It was like something else was in control of him at that point too. Mm. I don't I don't know why that like scared me. It was like I don't know. Uh I, it, there's really no like button to that sentence, but uh <laughs> Well, I think that. it's it, it's sort of his performance and his role is kind of fascinating. I think if we kind of take that comparison of the Stephen King version, the Stephen Weber version, you know, where you have kind of the everyday man who then is put into the situation or like someone who is more likable, more sympathetic from the start and then goes into the situation, we we maintain some kind of allegiance and trust in that character. But I feel like in this version with you know, Jack Torrance and with Jack Nicholson's performance, we start to, we kind of don't trust Jack from the beginning. I mean, he even says... Uh, to that guy who hires him, he's like, oh, yeah, my wife, you know, they're going to love it. My wife loves horror movies. Wendy doesn't like horror movies. Yeah, she's you not know, that type no. of girl. Yeah. And so, like, he lies from the start, you know, to kind of get this job. And and then, you know, driving up, there's clearly a tension with his family. Like, I I love that in whole, like, Jack Torrance is is also in some ways the kind of character that would be a supporting character and that he's, you know, he's he's crazy from the start and just goes crazier and he's off kilter and, you know, is a little wild. And and it's like you... I, I would never think of this character as our, our leading man in a movie. We don't have any, like, sane, safe, leading character in a movie to, like, carry us through this, you know? Yeah. Um, he's crazy Wendy is, you know, losing her shit. Um, but there's no I, I actually kind of enjoy the lack of stability in the Torrances, you know? Yes. No, it is like compelling to watch, absolutely. I also thought for a moment too, and um and we could talk a moment about like the set design too, because this I, I would love to like with all thing all things aside, like I would love to like spend a weekend in this hotel because it's beautiful. Like mm. that the scene in the bathroom, that red bathroom, was so cool. First oh, of all, just I to look love at. that. Yeah, I I want to go there. Um, but I thought for a second, and it didn't actually happen. And then I I was like, did 
did I ever see a movie or read a book where this happened? Like the plot, I thought that Jack, since he was starting to go crazy, I thought he was like the vehicle for that was also, I yes, like the curse and like the murders and all that stuff too. But I thought he was actually like the characters in his book were coming to life. And that's mm. who he was talking with. And I was like, is this a plot of a movie that I've seen before? Like, has, has that ever been like made? Am I picturing uh, something? I don't know. That sounds vaguely familiar, but I, I can't think of it. It sounds like something Stephen King would do. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're writing and then like the writer slowly goes insane. And then he just like enters the world of the book and like never returns and then dies. That sounds like something mm. Stephen King would write. Or maybe I'll yeah. write it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Hey, this might be the moment. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think there's a lot in this movie about like, you know, being a writer and writer's block and yeah. and like, yeah, the idea that, you know, Jack kind of or what he thinks is he creates the perfect scenario for him to work on his book of just like months, you know, of largely uninterrupted time to write. And then like, so all the conditions are quote unquote ideal. And then he sits down, he's got the typewriter, he's got the room, like he's picked out the location and it's like, okay, and I've got nothing, you know? Yeah. And I think like the the kind of rage that that breeds and the kind of like struggles that that breeds and like um, like that alone, I feel like there is a bit of the allegory of like just, you know, being, you know, the struggling uh, blocked artist, you know, trying to come out, uh, yeah. you know, because it's like we don't, we don't ever really see what the catalyst is for Jack to go crazy it just starts happening. Like I think that scene of him watching Wendy and Danny outside that shot of him inside is really our first indication of like, okay, whatever is here has got its hooks in him, you know? Yeah. And like they, they hint to it like a little bit that they're not getting like, they're not sleeping during the normal hours as well. Like I think he wakes up at like 1130 in the morning or something. Right. Sounds like a dream. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. Yeah. I was Um, like, this sounds lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I would, I mean, I think it's it's good to put context on the baseball bat scene yes. in terms of like the meta, the filming of it, because it's yes, like, yes. The, you know, some of the lore of this movie was obviously how hard Stanley Kubrick was on Shelley Duvall and how hard he pushed her. And the like, basically, he, you know, was very tough and very demanding in his expectations and how he spoke to her and also kind of sent the message to the rest of the production crew of like, don't sympathize, don't give her any sympathy and like wanted to produce the sense of hopelessness and the sense of isolation. And I guess didn't trust that she could manifest this on her own as an actress. Uh, And so, you know, for example, I mean, the, the, the lore of the baseball bat scene is that they filmed it 142 times. So it's 142 takes. Yeah. Which would be like the, the Guinness world record of the most takes for a single shot or a single scene in a movie. Um, I read somewhere else, other folks involved with the production who said it was more like 35 to 45 takes, which is still significant. Um, and Shelly uh, has, you know, apparently had just like suffered from nervous exhaustion. Her hair was falling out. You know, she yeah. said at one point that she she ran out of tears because of crying so much. Like she had to keep rehydrating because she just didn't have any more tears. Whoa. Uh, just from, I mean, and essentially like the, the shoot itself was they shot six days a week, 12 to 16 hour days, you know, and she had to be some variation of hysterical for most of it. And this went on for like over a year. So like all of those conditions, I mean, you know, she's said that like, it was obviously like one of the hardest, you know, 
uh, film shoots she's ever done and and that she would never do something like that again but then has also said like she's learned she learned so much from this you know yeah. i think oh that's very nice to say but like you were wildly abused in this movie um yeah and like jack nicholson has even said like her performance her role in his opinion was like one of the hardest roles he's ever seen an actress take on yeah and i love that i love i think it's like i loved i don't love what she went through <clears throat> and like that certainly frames yeah, us. I don't that. love like the fact that there are there are moments in this, the baseball bat scene being a great example. I mean, I think just to look at her and to look at how strung out she is and the way that she's like just crying through lines of like, I'm just so confused. I just oh, need to I go back to line. my I love that. I'm just really confused. And I it's it is so incredible to watch. But then I think, but I think like this is at least sixty percent Shelley Duvall, just saying the lines while crying because Shelley sure. Duvall's crying, not Wendy, you know. Yeah, and it's a long scene. I mean, it's a long monologue for Jack, but like she has to react to all of it. Like she mm-hmm. has the harder job in a way too. It's like she has to back up, just like perfectly up those stairs too. And I I do love mm-hmm. the blocking of that scene because she technically like. It's just like, you know, blocking 101. If someone's like standing above you and you're sitting, they have the power and you don't. And like the fact that Mm -hmm. she's higher than him with a baseball bat and still feels so powerless is like, it's really a a great set piece for that too. Yeah. It was really interesting to watch. And the fact like, is she going to do it? Is she, and she's just like, it's almost like, it's like, she's like, I use the word like wagging. I use that for the knife, like a tail wagging. It's she yep. doesn't have like I think she has maybe a better grip on the bat than she does on the knife. It's like she's oh, never yeah. held a knife before in that one scene. But I love the choice to do that. Like Oh yeah. The the body language, the way like, she holds the knife the way like a Barbie doll holds a brush. It's yeah. just you just stick it in the hand, you know? Like it's yes. just but there's no like she doesn't seem to have any motor skills around using it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, obviously the baseball bat scene is, is insane, but then the, the bathroom scene when Jack is chopping down the bathroom door, which apparently, uh, took a week to film and they went through like 60 doors. Yeah. Because apparently Jack Nicholson was like a volunteer fired. What am I trying to fireman? I guess. Firefighter. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they use like fake door, like a prop door. Um, I guess so it would be easier for them to chop through and it was in fact too easy um, yeah. so they had to get like they had to up the ante a little bit too and uh, that would be scary that, even for, like to, yeah. to just be on the other side of that so close to the wall and not knowing it would seem real like that would freak me out and if I was yeah. in Shelley's like just running from that I hate when anyone knocks on my door let alone like oh, takes let alone, axe to it right right I mean what I love about that scene is that the the first time he swings the axe into the door, when we hear Wendy screaming on the other side of the door, mm-hmm. that jars. It's just so jarring. It's so like, oh god! Like I, for some reason, not seeing her makes it even more scary. Like knowing she's on the other side of that door. But I think, kind of to your point with the baseball bat scene, you know, Jack Nicholson obviously is is working his ass off and, and has a lot of the active. Um, parts of the scene whether it be the monologue in the baseball bat scene or you know just the action of chopping down the door and like he has a lot of action to work with Mm -hmm. and she just has to keep reacting and keeping the reaction fresh and keeping it natural and i 
I mean, that, I th- in, in a lot of ways, that scene is so much more about Wendy's reaction than it is about Jack chopping through the door. Yeah. And it's fascinating to watch her just, like, the variations of terror that she's playing, you know, scrunched against that wall. I think my favorite is there. there's some moment where her eyes just bulge even wider than they are, and she, like turns and puts her face into the wall like she can't even face it anymore and i love that i love that it gets to the point where it's like she's so freaked out that she she can't even be present for that anymore um i don't think you know texas chainsaw massacre being a close second i don't think i've ever seen anyone play fear and like absolute terror as realistically as shelly duvall has in the shining yeah i I totally subscribe to that or a co-sign that I'll say uh, with without like any hesitation because it really my heart was like because I, I honestly did not know if they got away or not. I was like, I don't mm-hmm. think this movie would show a kid getting chopped up by an axe. Like it just seems like it's crossing the line. <laughs> right. Like, is history going to repeat itself or is like the kid going to get away and then she dies? I did not want them to die. I was I was rooting for them. In these last, and this happens like in the last like 10, 15 minutes of the movie, too. I mean, as as most like horror movies do, obviously, there's that like swell of action at the end. Like, will they survive? Won't they survive? But mm-hmm. I, oh God, like when she she puts him outside the window and then she can't get out. And it's just like that. Oh. That's a, such a classic trope of like, oh, she's she's a goner now. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, you put yourself in in that bathrobe and you're like, oh, well, I would not be able to get out of this. What would I do? You know? Oh, Uh, God, I don't even know what I (laughs) Yeah. I think it's interesting that, you know, in this, it's like the, she, when she hits him with the, like the first time she hits him with the baseball bat, she hits him in the hand. And when she hits him in the bathroom, she slashes his hand. I think it's interesting that both of those... And I don't, I'm sure there's some theory, but there, there's something about Jack the writer and his hands being injured, you know, Ooh, and like, what you're saying. Yeah. that being like, and that being also, that's Wendy's way of stopping him. And he's accused her already of like fucking with him and not wanting him to be a writer and to just take yeah. day jobs. Like, I think there's something really meaningful that, that the violence that she enacts on him is all against his hands, you know, other than, and his head, you know, hitting him with the bat. Like she is physically attacking the writer part of him, you know? I love that. I love that a lot. And that that's enough because it's like she slashes him, but then that's enough for him to like, well, obviously then he hears the snow cat and, and Halloran arriving. But like, I always, I, I always forgot, like, why does he not follow through with killing Wendy? Like, why does he stop at that point? Um, yeah. And this was, so this was where I thought, you know, what I thought might've been the jump scare was when Jack comes out from behind the pillar and, and axes Halloran. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I knew I, that was actually um, one of the parts where I turned the volume down. So yeah, <laughs> so that's yeah. probably why it wasn't mm-hmm. as scary. I kept it like at like one bar on my laptop. Um, mm. But I knew something was happening, and I was like, "Oh, Halloran, he's great." Is it Scatman Crothers? That that's yeah, crazy. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he's what a great, great supporting character. Yeah, I wish I wish he didn't die, but I I I'm glad that he was able to save the the two of them. Yeah, he lives in the book. Um, oh, good, but good, good. In like the book ends with like uh, Halloran and Danny and like Wendy on the beach somewhere. So oh, fun. So I kind of like comforted myself with that, 
But yeah, I know it's it's crazy that he, you know, goes to such lengths to get there, and then like two minutes into getting into the hotel, he gets killed. It's just I like no. I didn't. I wish he would have like just not shouted hello. Hello. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, it's it's so awful because I knew it was coming, and I was like, oh. This really sucks, but, yes. uh, you know, it kind of obviously adds to the helplessness because then I think in, in this last part of the movie, some of my favorite Wendy moments are these, like, discovery moments. You know, she has three great, like, reaction moments after yes. the bathroom scene because I, I think the next one is when she's running through the hallways and she sees the the Bear Man blowjob. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what the meaning is behind that yeah, I, I didn't even try to <laughs> analyze yeah. that i was like all right so that's happening right but but that shot of like you know the the bear and the guy look at her and that shot of her just standing there holding the knife wide oh, eye, yeah. it's it's it is so like it it's it's incredible it's such a, yeah. it's, a it, it's such a deep level of like human emotion coming out you know like this is whether this is Shelley acting, Stanley terrorizing the shit out of her, you know, awful filming conditions, all of the above, it it's such a raw moment. And I love that, yeah, she then just, like, flutters away up the hallway. Like, she's just holding the knife as if she's holding, like, a, a torch and just kind yeah. of, like, toddles away. It's, yeah. <clears throat> oh. And then she discovers Halloran's body, and there's that reaction shot. Uh, yes. But I think my favorite shot in the entire movie, my favorite moment is when she gets to the, she sees the elevator and the door opens and the blood comes out and it cuts back to her reaction. It is such a beautiful shot. And yeah. just like, uh, it is, uh, it is so, I like, I could watch that two seconds over and over of just Wendy. Cause the way I read it is like, Wendy has seen more horror in the past couple hours than she's ever seen or could ever imagine in her entire life. And then the elevator door full of, you know, opens to this tidal wave of blood. And I feel like the reaction it's, it, it is literally like Wendy's circuits go into overdrive. Like she, yeah. there is no more processing that she can do. This has gone far beyond her processing capabilities. It's, Oh, I, I would get that shot. Like, printed and framed you know and put yeah. somewhere in my apartment because it's it's just incredible and i think like moments like that are where i'm like oh my god this performance is iconic this is this is next level actressing yeah and i that's like i mean the, the sort of thesis we're or like question we're tossing out here like kind of throughout the episode unofficially is like is this a good performance or mm -hmm. is it but I think it's really a mix of, like, everything that you just said. It's like, is this really just Shelley Duvall? Like, or as far as, like, the baseball scene, is it just Shelley delivering lines and being stressed and overworked and tired? Mm. Um, but there are moments where you you can't argue that she's, like, really delivering. And yeah. just, like, she's locked in. She's locked and loaded. And, yeah, it's like no one else can do this the way she's doing it right now. And there is something so specific about the way that she looks, like her sort of like sweaty bangs and like mm -hmm. her her teeth are perfect. It, mm -hmm. It's really weird because in, in some odd way, she kind of looks like my mom when she was that age. Huh. Um, I, I, I'm going to see if I can like try to find a picture when I'm up there for like Thanksgiving or something like that and send it to you. Yeah. Um, because she does have like this Shelley Duvall quality too. But um, I... I just think that 
um, as far as just like it, these, like the last, like you know, the third act of the movie, I'm, I kind of forget that, um, you know, I I didn't even once think like, oh, what is Shelley doing? I'm like, nope, she's doing exactly what she needs to be doing, if not more, and it's perfect. Yeah, and I think you know the idea of like who else would I want to see in this role? I mean, well, I I love the fantasy world of Jessica Lang or you know so many other actresses that I'd want to just it's almost like I just want to see what they would do it's like a screen test I just want to see what you would do in this oh Uh, yeah I think like the choice of like Shelley Duvall is such a specific actress and um is such a sort of supporting actress and a charactery kind of actress that to put her in the role of that that I think in a lot of other actresses hands would have just been kind of like the damsel in distress, you know, like Jessica Lang would have been great, but she would have just been the damsel in distress, you know? Yes. Whereas I think with Wendy, with Shelley Duvall's Wendy, it's, yeah, she's certainly in distress, but it's, it's like this, this weird beanpole of a woman in distress. And you just, there's so few movies that cast someone like this in this like leading role. And it's, yes. I, I think it's a fascinating choice. I think Shelley Duvall is fascinating. Um, I've only seen her in a few other things, but there's a there's a movie called Three Women that she did in like 1977 with Sissy Spacek that is so good and like, uh-huh. su- like so nuanced and like such a great example of like what Shelley Duvall does in a more you know, even keeled role. Yeah. Controlled environment. Yeah. 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 And like with uh, the director's Robert Altman, who she's worked with a number of times. And so there's also like, okay, clearly this is a director who you have a good relationship with, who treats you well, who you collaborate well with. Uh, It's totally worth seeing just to kind of get a point of comparison for like, is Shelley Duvall like quote unquote, a good actress. She's a great actress. Yeah. Uh, I think that any actress put through the, through the, paces that Stanley Kubrick put her through would be, you know, uh, reduced to sweaty bangs and bulged eyes. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it's, I, I mean, granted Shelley was nominated for a Razzie for this performance. um, And Stanley Kubrick was nominated for a Razzie for worst director, which I just, that's so interesting to me. People are dumb. People are dumb. And uh, I, I think that's so bizarre that, that uh, like I I wonder what informed that you know like what was it about this performance does it go back to what that vi- that guy in the video said where it's like oh she's just crying through all her lines and it's all just hysterical I mean when I hear that I just think well then you didn't get it <laughs> like it's very yeah. simple you didn't get it yeah like there's a difference between like Faye Dunaway and Mommy Dearest and Shelley Duvall in The Shining. A hundred and ten percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that most people would maybe put them in the same category of performance. Like they're both doing the same thing. And and no, I, I yeah. that's not it. <laughs> it's like I didn't expect it. Like when I looked in um on IMDb, I thought that Stanley Kubrick would have been nominated for director. I thought this would have got like a best original score nomination. I Mm. I was pretty certain that none of them got acting nominations, but I thought somewhere along the line that they would have, you know, Golden Globe or something that they they would have been recognized. So it's really bizarre to me. And maybe we're just partial to Shelley and the acting choices she's making. But I, I feel that I wonder how like split it is. If it is, if it's a 50 50 or is there a majority rule of like, you know, no, Shelley's great in this. 
I mean, that is, and that's the question I think to pose to our listeners is, you yes, know, what, what's your take? Is is Shelley Duvall great in this movie? Is it, it? Is she not? I mean, that's fine. You're wrong, but do you think that? <laughs> that's okay. Um, no, I'm open to other opinions, but I, I really feel like good or bad, I think Shelley Duvall as Wendy is a singular performance. I don't think there's many other performances like this, and I think that makes it special. Yeah, and this is just like a side note that I was thinking about before, too. I just wanted so bad, like, a Joe Beth Williams running down the hall moments, you know? Oh, oh, I yeah. Just wanted, mm-hmm. I, was, I just wish she would have showed up and, and, and just, like, turned to Shelly and be like, here's how you do it, and just run down the hall mm-hmm. together. Oh, <laughs> that, yeah, right, because, they're, oh, that fabulous scene where where Diane, the actress Diane, <laughs> the actress, not not with the, the mug, mug Diane. <laughs> Yeah, it's stumbling down the hallway, and then it gets longer and longer, and yeah. then she just starts running. Oh, now I have to watch that again. Yeah, um, yeah. There's yeah. Su- there was such room for that in this movie too. It's like I wish. Did this come out before Poltergeist or after? This uh, this came out the same year. Actually, it was 1980. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Or like maybe Poltergeist was 81, but I feel like it's 80. Um, let's see. No, 82. I take it back. Poltergeist came out two years later. Okay. Um. But uh, yeah, no, I know I, I wanted, I wanted Wendy to have those moments where like you know her her motherly instincts helped her to like lift the car, but sure. uh, I feel like at this point it was like the fact that I'm still moving is <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's <be> enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm honestly yeah the yeah fact that she got outside and helped Dan. And speaking of Danny too, running through that maze. What a smart little boy, because the whole time I was running through, I was like, jump through one of these bushes. I know, I know. I don't know how thick they are either, too, so I'm guessing, I mean, who would have thought of that, too, but what a smart little kid. Yeah, um, and he was, he was good. He was, uh, you know, he wasn't a bad actor. I felt like, I, I liked Danny. Yeah, he's, he's perfectly fine, and like, the scheme of like, our, you know, our BSA movies that we've covered with like, child actors, there are some moments where I was like, okay. But also, yeah. like, he does exactly what he needs to do. He's just, like, the creepy kid. And, and we could go on about him, too, and, just, like, his trajectory. But I'm I'm not as interested in him as I am with Shelly. But I'm glad they both made it out together. I'm glad that she knew how to just, like, drive that thing. Yeah, <laughs> then, I know. Yeah. There is something uh, jarring about Jack Nicholson. Like, the, the, the way he says Danny is really scary. It's like a roar mm, sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they just show, like, the way that they show him, like, the next morning or whatever, it's just, like, it's kind of like this boing sort of, like, yep. cheesy moment. I don't, I, yep. I'm so interested in that. I know. That's the kind of cut they would have in a comedy. Absolutely. Of, like, I, what I think of is, like, I don't know, if somebody, I don't know, it, it seems like a, like somebody who's been pranked and this is the end result. You know what I mean? Um, of them like tied to a tree covered in whipped cream. I don't know. I'm thinking of like fraternity hazing. Um, yeah, it's like but eyes it had, are crossed. It's weird. Yeah, it had that same weird like, oh, okay. Uh, it does all kind of, there isn't some grand confrontation in the end, you know? And, and yeah. it's funny because it is somewhat similar to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and that it just, she just gets away. Like yeah. she doesn't like, I mean, things happen and, you know, shit goes down, but like, it's similar to Wendy, Sally in that movie. It's not so much that she fights back. She just keeps enduring and she just keeps running and diving through windows. And it's just like, at this point, I, the fact that I'm still running is, is, you know, 
it should be is uh, good enough. Yeah. It's good enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get that. Yeah. Well, if you ever want to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre and queen out about that performance, you know, I'd have to start it at like nine a.m. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, would that be the kind of thing where if you read everything that happens and then watched it, does that alleviate anything, or is it like, no, it's the experience itself? Um, I think that would help me if I, it's like, I would love to like watch it with you just to say like, mm. okay. And just like pause and just say, okay, here's what's going to happen. I just need like a horror movie guide <laughs> to just say yeah. something crazy is going to happen or just all like right. to really take time and like pause and maybe not watch it all at once. And to maybe like laugh at it if it's a little bit funny at time. like I mm-hmm. need to like, change the monster like kind of see like because uh, t- i mean hereditary stayed with me for so long that yeah. i was just i don't want to go through <laughs> i don't want to go through that again yeah Ugh, and and uh, this will this will haunt you yeah way more than hereditary but... i know that's the thing but i mean yeah. it's a goal it's yeah a goal for me something to work towards yeah, yeah exactly. um well, well, I support that, and yeah. we'll support that in any way possible. Uh, yes. Purely for the actressing. Purely for the actressing. I know. Or maybe just yeah. like a super cut of her best moments. I, I mean, that's a possibility, too. Like, yeah. I could find like a clip of like, okay, out of context, knowing she survives, you don't have to endure 20 more minutes of this. Here's like five minutes of this woman just, you know, acting sure. her brains out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I can take that. All right. All right. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. make that happen. Um well, I think that's that's probably all I have to say on The Shining. Did you have any other closing thoughts or feelings no, before we? I, I'm so glad that I I watched this. I had, like we said at the beginning, I'd never seen it. It seems like it's definitely one of those movies at a dinner party where you, if you announce that you hadn't seen it, people will just like, you know, pull out yeah. their own baseball bats and be <laughs> bash your right, brains. right, exactly. So I'm glad yeah. it's I, I'm glad I'm included in that club now that's seen it. Um, so I'm I'm excited, and I I'm glad that the this performance of Shelley Duvall is also in my arsenal too, that I can keep up with a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that's pretty much the most important thing. I think seeing The Shining just means you can add that to the catalog. Yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. glad it was a good spooky sort of end to our Halloween month of October. Yeah, here. yeah. I was really excited to do this just to have this like kind of like when we talked about Anne Dowd and Hereditary. I was just happy to have this in the episode list of like, yeah, Shelley Duvall. In The Shining. I Yes. Uh, it makes sense. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Feels good. So, uh, well, great. Um, well, that obviously, of course, brings us to our final segment of the episode, which, is, of course, is our BSA of the week, where we queen out on an, uh, an actor or a person or a food or a song or a thing or anything in our lives that is acting as the best supporting actress of our lives this week. Mm-hmm. Um now, what, have you, what do you got this week? Nominees, winners, what do you have? My BSA of the week, and I started this maybe yesterday, the day before, um, is a playlist on Spotify called Christmas Classics. And oh. I know there is, I'm, I'm very interested because I don't think we've had this conversation, Colin, about the very, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, heated debate of how early you should start listening to Christmas music and how early you should mm-hmm. start setting up. And if people get um, annoyed by hearing Christmas music too early in department stores and all that stuff too. But I am, 
I think especially in 2020, there's there's a hall pass for these kind of situations um, yep. or, uh, that you can do whatever you want. And I I, ne- I wasn't really necessarily in a bad mood or anything like that, but I was I was ready for it. And just to kind of dive deeper into like Christmas music, like my mom. Oh, my gosh. we I feel like I've talked about it before. We've listened to so many like so much Christmas music when we were younger. She starts playing it actually on Halloween night. It is her. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, she blasted in the background as she passed out candy because she, like myself, uh, cannot wait <laughs> to start listening yeah. to, to Christmas music. So, but even just like, uh, and I, I get, even though I am team, let's listen to Christmas music as early as we can and let's start the holidays as soon as we can. Um, I certainly understand and acknowledge like the ridiculousness behind it too. But I think for me, I'm like, one, I'm like, it's just music, guys. It's just yeah. music, and you don't have to listen to it. I mean, if you're in a department store, that's another story, too. But um, I, there's just so much joy behind. There's, like, joy and nostalgia. Like, I was listening to, oh, I can't remember what it was, but it was some sort of, like, Andy Williams or Bing Crosby mm-hmm. song. And it took me back to, like, a very specific feeling of, like, the best part of the <laughs> Christmas season for me was Christmas Eve right after church was over because I knew like we didn't have to go to church anymore. Like that was like our last sort it's like your last day of work before vacation starts and you clock out and you're just like, it's time to party. Yeah. That was, and just like riding home. And sometimes my parents would, um, we take like the long way home and go in specific neighborhoods to look at the lights and we would just turn up the Christmas music. It's like, it's very instilled within me, those sort of like traditions and stuff like that. Um, so I was feeling not really like emotional about it. It was just like, oh, I just like it was like a warm hug. And I just mm. love Christmas music. But with all this being said, where do you fall, Colin? And I won't be offended at all if you are <laughs> the opposite team. No, no. I So Halloween, obviously, like October is I love Halloween season. And yes. so I like to let it play out. You know, I I really indulge with you know horror movies and even music. Like a more some of the stuff I've been listening to while I'm working. Like there's there are like videos on YouTube. There'll be like an hour long playlist of like you know dark horror synthwave mix, and it's sure. like it's great. It's my it's like a variation of Christmas music. Um, that I just I love I love all of that. I love the Halloween season and the fall feeling and and. You know, I think of, I don't know, like, you know, trick-or-treating and Christmas morning are kind of, like, equally special memories. If anything, I probably have more happy memories of trick-or-treating than Christmas, you know? Um, Interesting. I love that, though. Because I'm just, like, you know, enjoying all of the nuances of it. The Halloween party at school, you know, like, just the, we used to have, like, a Halloween parade in the parking lot. Oh, I love that, too. Yes, yes, yes. But, you know, once it's over, it's over. And I am totally fine with getting the christmas music started as of november you know i i could totally picture that feeling that that what you were brought back to of christmas eve driving around looking at christmas lights it's such a nice feeling and i think more so than ever this year it's like god anything you can squeeze a you know a good feeling out of yes, like yes. anywhere you can get like a little endorphin kick or a dopamine kick or a, or a serotonin boost but by all means, like, you know, why be Utilize stingy this it. year? Yes, Utilize yes. it. We need every bit we can get. So I am on board. I And I do love, like, one, once the Christmas music starts, that I'm like, yeah, I'm here for this. I think 
and this is such a pessimistic thing, but the, the thing I always think about is like, it's the same with Halloween. It is this for Christmas is like, Oh, but there is going to be a November 1st. There is going to be a December 26th or a January 4th or whenever you kind of like turn it off again, you know? And it's like, it, it's such a lesson in like staying in the moment, but I like that lovely Christmas Eve feeling. I always have to push back the fact that like, yeah, but like after tomorrow it's kind of over, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a big crash for me. Um, mm-hmm. I remember getting really sad. Some radio stations will keep it on because I feel like it's too it's too cruel to like cut us off cold turkey. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like you need it at least through New Year's. Absolutely. Um, yeah, mm. at least through New Year's. Yes, but I'm glad yeah. the Spotify list. And I, I mean, this is not to knock any like contemporary Christmas music as well. Too like I love Mariah Carey. I love Kelly Clarkson. Uh, mm. Whitney Houston's Do You Hear What I Hear is like a gold standard for me. I sure. love that version. Um, yeah. Where do you Christmas. fall on the Christmas shoes? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like I, it's the same way I feel about the song The Prayer with like Celine Dion. Oh, and, yes. Uh, it's a, it's, it's in theory, it's like a beautiful song and like in this like because I feel like the song came first and then like the Hallmark movie yes. of like the Christmas shoes came after maybe. Yes, and of course that's how the song happened. was like played in the credits, you know, and like mm-hmm. every mom everywhere weeped. Um, but uh, it's it's a beautiful story. And like it's like if you like that, great. I, I, and I think that like I, I've probably like, you know, been driving home listening to Delilah a couple times and that song came on <laughs> and maybe I got a little bit misty and then I was like, what, what's happening to me? And then I just yeah. like turned on All I Want for Christmas is You to just like cleanse my spirit. But right, um, right. I'm not going to knock it, but it, it's it's what it is, I guess. It's it's fine. Yeah. I, I Great mean, question. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I think it's it's the question on everyone's lips. Uh, I think <laughs> I, I kind of blend my love for Halloween and Christmas be- with... I love creepy Christmas music. I love Carol of the Bells. Oh, yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Ah, it's so like that is my favorite is like creepy Christmas music. Like even there, Silent Night gets yes. creepy, you know? Yeah, in a way. I There is a really great version. I'm going to send it to you after we're done recording called Ring Christmas Bells. It's Carol of the Bells, but it has this crazy like ending to it that i almost pictured like if it was like a trailer for like a horror christmas movie this is the song that would be played oh, and at the end yes. it's just like these clashing crazy high soprano notes um it's everything i love it so much ring christmas bells i it came on it was on like the crass uh, the classic the classic christmas uh playlist on spotify and i was like oh yeah it was all oh hits. that's that's what i want i want music that could theme the trailer to a Christmas horror movie. That sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, How about you, Colin? Well, I, uh, I don't have any other nominees. Uh, I think my winner this week is I, uh, you know, I've been kind of needing to expand my podcast, uh, you know, uh, library. I did start listening to that episode of smart less. Uh, I listened to the, my Rudolph episode and it was, you know, I liked her, but uh, what's his name? Will Arnett. I was like, okay, buddy, like, take it down a little bit. Like, he's it the kind of... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you know, he's just, he's the kind of, like, actors do this thing where they refer to each other by their last names, and it's so yes, performative. Bateman. Bateman. So, yeah, I came in, and, like, Leguizamo's there, and I'm like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, shut up, Arnett. It's just, <laughs> like... 
There's something about that that just kind of puts me off. But she was great. But I, I, it was. I, I'm gonna need to kind of settle into it a little bit more because it was like a little. It was there was some broing out, which you warned me of. Sure. Um, but I, you know, I am still subscribed to this other podcast that I have not listened to in a while, and I finally was like, okay, I went for a walk. I was like, let's let's hear what this is like. And I have to say, I think I am coming around the mountain on Las Culturistas. Yeah. Good. I have, yeah. I've struggled with them. I felt like they were, you know, kind of team too much and a little bit of name dropping and a little bit of like insider baseball with all their like actor improv friends yeah, in sure. New York, all their NYU friends and um, Matt more than Bowen. Sure. Uh, you know, and it's like, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, that's who they are. And yeah, that's like, what you're signing up for. And yeah, I, I yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go on. Well, and it's like you know, I, I, I all right, Mary. We've been accused of being you know too much, and yeah, you know about, sure. and, and you know, I feel like any podcast, it's like all the same things that you know I loved about the Squirrel Friends. There could be some other asshole in an iTunes review who hates it, you know. And it's yeah, like, oh. okay, like there's always going to be like you should. You should be a decisive energy and personality on the podcast. And some people will get it and some people won't. And some people will like it and some people won't. And I had kind of decided that Glass Culturistas was maybe a little too much for me. And then I listened to the Matt and Bowen Getting High episode. And yes. I think it was a mix of getting high and not having to play host to a guest that kind of just gave me a little bit more of an untucked version of them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I I this is what I liked about Las Culturistas is there are things they talk about that I completely identify with and completely understand and I really appreciate and really enjoy and even when they're talking about you know, like being on SNL it doesn't feel too you know uh, it doesn't feel unrelatable you know um, yeah so I I I kind of got back on board I feel like they just released another episode today which is them getting high again and just talking so I'm I'm kind of excited and if they really do win me back you know then I think I'll go back and give them the how was your week treatment and start binging on the you know the archives Ooh, um, yay. I'm so glad I, yeah I, I think with any podcast even like the ones that I love more than anything, sometimes you just need a break um, yeah. just for like listening to new podcasts or maybe you're just like so absorbed. I mean, the one exception is Julie Klausner. Klausner. Of course. I will never, I will never tire of her. And I no. wish she would. I know she has that other podcast too and we talked about it before. I just haven't listened to it yet. And I think that's kind of where most of her energy is going, but it makes me sad because I miss How Was Your Week? I miss those monologues. I, I miss, do. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I even listening to all the archives, I've gotten used to the music, you know, and it's like, yeah, which one's it going to be? Is it yeah. going to be the piano? Like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's going to be that. Yes. Is it going to be the like, do, 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 do. Like, what, what's, what's she going to score this with? But I'm used to it. Um, yes. Anyway, uh, so yes, I am going to, I'm going to give it to Last Culturistas this Yay, week. Yay, good. I'm back. Um, yes, not yes, that yes. I was ever fully there, but I'm there now. Um, yeah. And speaking of there and being here now, here is the music playing us off. Oh, I know. It's right on schedule. Uh, so that being said, where can folks find more of you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Nick Kochanov. 
How about you, Colin? Uh, well, you can, of course, find more of me on Twitter at Colin Drucker, Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore, and then on podcasts, you can obviously hear me on In the Details, a celebration of nuance. I've got a very Best Supporting Actressy episode coming out later this week, um, I, uh, which I had already told you uh, I'd, I'd recommended a few weeks ago. Um, to watch the bad seed and i would heartily recommend to watch the bad seed uh because it's good enough to do a hole in the details episode on nice. um and of course you can find hear me on all right mary talking about drag and drag race holland right now uh which is fine uh and you of course can get more of both of us in a best supporting capacity at bsa pod on twitter yeah and they can also send us an email or an email with any thoughts rather um on shelley or maybe the possibility mm. of, of Jessica Lang, or like if they were to do a remake, who would be in the remake of The Shining, modern 2020? Mm. Uh, and you could send those thoughts to thebsapod at gmail.com. Fabulous. Well, I have no idea what we're doing next week, yeah. but um, we'll that's part out. of the excitement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in the meantime, a big thank you, maybe not necessarily to Stanley Kubrick, but certainly to Shelley Duvall for enduring. For yes enduring and giving us this performance and um well and i guess that as they say is that <laughs> <laughs>